the book of Romans, going through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Please rise for the reading of God's word. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. We not only like to hear the word of God, we like to to see the word of God. Just get it branded onto our souls. Okay, once again, Romans chapter 1. A lot of heavy verses here. It starts off that way, no exception today. So let's, let's do it. Let's go for it. Let's get into the word. Verse 16. Actually, let's go to verse 18. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress, that means to hide, it means to conceal, it means to change, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest or obvious in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. But they became futile, that means empty, in their thoughts and, in, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Let's pray. Father, we are here, Lord, because we want to, to change. We don't want to leave the same we're here because we don't want to remain in the dark. So here we are. Your word is the light. We want to come into the light. And Lord, your light, Lord, it, it exposes, your word says, that which is dark. The dark scatters, but it also, Lord, exposes just hard truth. Oh, Lord, is there hard truth before us today? But, Lord, we thank you for that hard truth. We know that it is the pathway to liberty. Lord Jesus, you say in your word that he who believes in, in the Son is free indeed that freedom that we 
that we look for, Lord. We, we got chains on. There's bondage in our lives, Lord. And you, Lord Jesus, you say you, you, you are the way, the truth, and the life, the way to liberty, to freedom. Oh, bring us there today by your word, by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So the book of Romans, yes, it's taken me 17 years as a senior pastor to feel comfortable teaching uh, this book. Maybe you have an idea reading through this first chapter. Why? The book is a thousand miles wide, a thousand miles deep. It is the Apostle Paul's presentation of the entire theology of Christianity, meaning everything about Christianity from A to Z. It's here in this letter. Now, much of this first chapter is dedicated to how it is that man got into so much trouble with God. And really describing it as trouble with God is actually a spectacular understatement because man's choices, our choices, have landed him, her, us in a place where, but for the grace of God, we face everlasting judgment of God, the everlasting wrath of God. Remember in the past a few weeks, we've been talking about that word wrath used there at the beginning of our verse where we start in verse 18. Think of the word anger and judgment combined. Anger and punishment combined. You get the word wrath, verse 18 says, for the wrath of God is revealed against unrighteousness and godliness. And, and, and so in later chapters of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul is going to describe the means to be rescued from that wrath, the means of salvation by which Jesus Christ, the Son of God, on the cross was struck, battered, bruised by God the Father with that everlasting wrath so that you and I would never have to know that wrath. So that you and I need only ever know the everlasting joy and love of God. And that's later on in Romans. But right now, Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God. Why God? Why, Lord, <laughs> do you respond in wrath? What is your wrath directed at, Lord? He gives us the answer in verse 18. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness who suppress the truth in unrighteousness or in their unrighteousness. Now we went through this verse in great detail a couple weeks ago. What is this unrighteousness that verse 18 is talking about that's triggering the wrath of God. It says that, the, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed against ungodliness, unrighteousness. What is this unrighteousness? Well, we went through that. It's that list in, that starts in verse 29. It, uh, it's speaking of mankind. It's also speaking of you. It's speaking of me. It's speaking about the human heart being filled with all unrighteousness. And after that, Word in verse 29, you can put such as, and the rest of the book, the rest of the verse there are examples of unrighteousness. Sexual immorality, verse 29 says, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parent, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving unmerciful. That's what unrighteousness is. That's what verse 18 says, the wrath of God is being revealed against. 
Now, as we discussed a few weeks ago, those things, that long list of ugly things, every one of which is in every human heart, the Bible says, Jesus says, says, out of the heart proceeds all those things. As we discussed a couple of weeks ago, that's just the surface, right? Those are just symptoms of deeper problems, right? There's a deeper problem. And verse 18 answers what it is. What is it? Come on, shout it out. What is it? Okay, what? What's that? That's right. Suppressing the truth. Suppressing the truth. It says in verse 18, Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth, meaning that's the cause of the problem. That long list in verses 29, 30, and 31, all those result from suppressing the truth, hiding the truth, changing the truth, concealing it, twisting it, and exchanging the truth for something that is a lie, something that's not true. So important for understanding this chapter that the root of our problem, your problem, my problem, the problem for mankind throughout its entire history, suppressing, exchanging the truth. Three times we see that in this chapter. Not only verse 18 speaks of suppressing the truth. Again, in verse 25, it says, who exchange the truth for, uh, of God for the lie. And then again in verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, meaning hold God in their knowledge, they let go of their knowledge. So important. That's the cause of the, uh, of the problem of mankind, the root cause of sin. Hiding, suppressing, concealing, changing, exchanging, Truth. So again, a couple weeks ago we discussed what truth do we suppress? What is the truth that we hide, we conceal, we exchange, we turn around? And again, that's in verse 19. It's the truth about God. Who he is and what he does. So what is it that they suppress? Verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest, meaning obvious in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him, nor were they thankful to him. So what is the, the, the truth that we suppress about God? Number one, verse 20, that there is a God, his, the Godhead. Number two, that he is unbelievably powerful. It says his eternal power, meaning just by observing, just without the Bible in our hands, without any knowledge of the Bible at all, what this is saying is that just by observing what is around us in the world. We know there's a God. We know there's a, he's eternally powerful. And, verse 21, it says, we know we're supposed to glorify him, and we know we're supposed to be thankful to him. Meaning, we know our life is supposed to be about him. After all, he created all of this. That's the truth that we suppress. Who God is, and that we owe him our life. And it says, again at the end of verse 18, suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, which answers another question, that those, the, that those few little words. We suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Why do we suppress the truth? Why do we do it? Well, again, it's right there at the very end there of verse 18. It's because we love our unrighteousness. Again, end of verse 18, we suppress the truth in, in, in unrighteousness or because of unrighteousness, we love our sin. We love our unrighteousness. We love this list 
in verses 29 through 31. Just again, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, strife. A couple of examples. Um, again, a big beginning of verse 29, that the sexual immorality. Because of our love for pursuing sex, which we define on our own terms, not God's terms, we suppress the truth. We hide the truth. We change it. Because we love it. We love defining sex and having it on our own terms. So we suppress the truth about it. And not only about it, but about God altogether. Same thing in that list in verse 29, covetousness. What's that? It's just adding to our lives or grabbing for ourselves that which is not ours. We love doing that. We love taking to ourselves stuff that is either not ours or we're not supposed to have at this time, maybe a later time. We, we, we get covetous. No, no, I want that now. And what do we do? If someone says, no, you can't have that now, we change the truth about God. We suppress the truth. We hide the truth so we can go ahead and grab that stuff. Or again, at the end of the list in verse 31, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Unloving? Unloving? You mean this enemy of mine? This, this husband who's treating me like an enemy? This wife who's treating me like an enemy? This friend who backstabbed me? This co-worker who's taken all the credit? I'm supposed to love them? Well, we suppress the truth and unrighteousness and we twist it around and convince ourselves, no, that doesn't make any sense. We're not supposed to do that. We don't have to do that. And we twist the truth, we hide the truth, not only about covetousness and and, and being loving and, and sexuality, but about God himself, about who he is. Okay, so there you have it. And all this we've discussed in previous weeks. And some of you are asking, why is he reviewing this again? And there's a reason for that. You know, I, I seek the Lord. I, I, I ask God, what do you want me to, to share with the church? I'm a pastor. I'm a shepherd. And, and I ask God, what am I supposed to share with a flock of God? And I believe he spoke to me, and he said, look, you can't move on from these verses until you bring up and discuss that issue which is the first and foremost example in the year 2019 of how men or when men suppress the truth about God. Ultimately, their own destruction. To their own destruction. There is an example. It's live. It's active. It's all in, it, it's gotten into our school and to the, to, to the discussion of whatever, of, of human life that is by far far the first and foremost example today of how men suppress the truth and they change the truth and exchange it and turn it into something else that's false, that's a lie. How is man suppressing truth about God today more than any other way? Through the theory of evolution. As a pastor, I can't ignore this. I'm not allowed to. God doesn't let me get away with this. Man is using the theory of evolution to, in unprecedented ways, suppress the truth about God. Let me explain. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in Genesis 1 and 2, there's a description of creation, the heavens and earth created in six 24-hour days. Not six epochs or six millennia or whatever. It's six 24-hour days. How do we know it's six 24-hour days? Well, Moses and the fourth commandment discussing the Sabbath, the day of rest, says this, Exodus chapter 20, he says, In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested the seventh day. God created the world, the heavens and the earth, in six 
24-hour days. Now, the theory of evolution uh, takes great exception to that. And here is a definition of the theory of evolution. Evolution. The theory that all of life evolved over billions of years through natural processes from bacteria-like microorganisms to complex organisms such as human beings. It's the theory of evolution in a nutshell right there. In other words, all of life, all of life that you see today, plant life, animal life, has the same ancestor. So according to Encyclopedia Britannica, the most recent advocates of the theory of evolution believe that humans and other mammals descended from shrew-like creatures that lived more than 150 million years ago. Here's a picture of a shrew. So it's 150 million years ago. Before that, before that time, all mammals but as well as birds, reptiles, amphibians, and fish descend from aquatic worms that lived 600 million years ago. There you are. Theory of evolution. Every person in this room is related to this aquatic worm. Before that, all plants and animals descended from bacteria-like microorganisms that or originated more than three billion years ago. Everybody in this room descended from that. And listen, before even that, evolutionists believe that somehow living organisms origi originated from non-living chemicals. So, Evolution from those bacteria-like microorganisms to a human being allegedly occurred through a long series of mutations, meaning changes in DNA. The mutations allegedly improved that living organism's chance of survival. So DNA is the carrier of the genetic code, meaning the code which makes you, you. That's what DNA is. So using a very crude example, theory of evolution, at some point, for example, in the human's evolutionary chain, our ancestor may have only, or the creature that uh, preceded us, uh, only had one eye. But through a mutation in the DNA, two eyes came about, which improved our ancestor's chance of survival. And so from then on, it was two eyes. That's just a one of the millions upon millions upon millions of mutations like that, which occurred over billions of years in which life went from this to this. Now, I put up a man and a woman because men and women are made with enormous, unfathomably complicated differences. But somehow, through these natural processes, the evolution of both of them occurred roughly at the same time, which allowed them to exist at the same time and procreate. And today, uh, this is what you have. Again, the theory of evolution uh, right here. The theory that all life evolved over billions of years through Natural processes, not supernatural processes. Natural processes from bacteria-like microorganisms to complex organisms such as human beings. So the whole idea of God, completely unnecessary. <laughs> it's used to su uh, suppress the truth. Many who hold this, for many who hold this theory. A God who is, his, uh, like it says in verse 20 and 21, who's, who's all-powerful, supremely intelligent, to whom we owe our lives. Evolution makes that God completely unnecessary. Because what you see is a result of natural mutations which occurred over billions of years. There's nothing supernatural about it. 
so goes the, th the theory, so, go so goes the suppression of the truth. Verse 18. So goes the changing of the truth. Verse 25. So goes the letting go of the truth. Verse 28. Now, there is an enormous body of scientific research and findings from that research which is devastating to the theory of evolution. And in a flyer which is in your bulletin, there's a list of books and websites, links, at, uh, which you can access and, and read up on the, among other things, enormous scientific problems with this theory, the theory of evolution. The theory that man is be using to suppress, let go, conceal the truth of God. So there's this enormous body of scientific research, hundreds and hundreds of trained PhDs doing this research. But listen, as Romans 1 predicts, there has been a ferocious backlash. I would call it a full-scale war against this research. The first and foremost evolutionists who... who on planet Earth today, Richard Dawkins, what he did around 20 years ago, he publicly called for what he himself calls militant atheism, expressly urging atheists to discard their traditional respect for religion in favor of a more aggressive warlike fight against the incursion or the introduction of religion into politics or education and to discredit any scientific research that seems to establish the existence of a divine, supernaturally intelligent designer. So I've been following this whole thing for 20 years. Now, it does help that a man who got his PhD in biology from Harvard lived in my basement for five years <laughs> and, and rented the basement from me while he was doing his PhD. And it helps that he himself today, five days a week for his daytime job, does research regarding creation science and proving how, uh, how evolutionary theory is bankrupt. It does help. And that's the reason why I, I've been following this so closely, but I've been following this whole thing. And among other things, those who have responded to Richard Dawkins' call for a militant atheism, what they do, and it is so shameless, it is so wrong, that they, they, they suppress the truth. By they, they go in and they literally either create Wikipedia pages or they go into these websites that have this, this kind of, 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 of research and in, in Wikipedia or whatever, they completely, without basis, discredit the people, mostly just by, uh, by, calling, by, by calling them names and things like that. And, and, and they publish things which are 100% false in, in, in many of these Wikipedia uh, pages. And I was talking to Dr. Jeanson about this. I was on the phone with him about 10 times yesterday as I was preparing for this message. And uh, he says, all you have to do on those pages is follow what they're saying. And just follow and read what they're saying and follow it. And in the end, you will see there's nothing there. There's nothing there. And so um, why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? Romans chapter 1, because so much is at stake. Because if these scientific studies that the theory of evolution is false, is bankrupt, is a lie, if that's true, they are accountable to this all-powerful, all-intelligent, everlasting creator God. So what, the, what do they do? They suppress it. So back to our text. For example, Romans chapter 1 verse 20. Oh my, 
do they take issue with a verse like this, which says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So they would look at that and go, nonsense. There are, if you read this, it, what it's seeming to say, actually what it does say, is that the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen in all of creation, meaning his signature is written in the smallest, tiniest molecule or whatever, or, or microorganism. It's his signature is there. They say, nonsense. And I say, oh, really? Oh, really? Well, let me give you one example. And you see if you think it's nonsense. <laughs> that all these biological processes, that, for example, in the human body, don't have the signature of God on them. Let's take the human ear. The human ear, okay? So let's just lighten up. There's all these sermons. I said this a few weeks ago. They're intense. Let's lighten up. Let's talk about the ear. There's ear right here. So the human ear has been called by scientists an inverse piano. Each of the strings, for those of you who know pianos, they connect to individual keys, which represent a single tone, single sound. And when the keys are played together, they're a harmonious whole. And we saw that with the worship team today. That's what a piano does. Well, the ear, your ear, my ear, is the inverse, meaning it does the opposite. It takes all the notes as a whole, and it takes them, and it separates each one of them into individual notes so that we can recognize them. The difference between a piano and our ear is a piano has 88 keys, and the human ear has 16,000. Keys, sometimes referred to as hair shells, these keys, these piano keys, they correspond to a each each of these hair shells uh, corresponds to a specific tone, a specific frequency. So here you have a piano inside your ear. This is it, folks. Here are these piano. This is a piano, and it's inside of each one of your ears. And each of these things is like, these things sticking up, it's like a key. There's 16,000 of them. So, so there's a sound in the air. It has a specific vibration, a specific frequency. And when that sound enters your ear, it goes into one of those 16,000 piano keys, which recognizes it. So it recognizes it, and when one of those little piano keys recognizes it, guess what happens? There's a little trap door on the top of that piano key, which opens up, the frequency enters, the trap door closes, and a, an electrical signal is created, which is then sent along with other signals to the brain, and at which point the brain says, ah, the voice of my beautiful, gorgeous wife, Stephanie. She's home. That's what happens. Now keep in mind, according to, this is so important, according to those who have bought into a, um, evolutionary theory, every single one of these 16,000 piano keys independently evolved over time. I just read an article on this. There is no evolutionary explanation for this. In fact, according to this article, no one has ever tried to explain it, and they probably never will, but they probably hope that you don't notice it because it can't be explained except by, verse 20, a supernatural extraordinary, infinitely extraordinary, intelligent designer. Now, I'm not done, by the way, with the ear. You guys still want to talk about ears with me? Anyone? Just raise your hand, yeah? We haven't even got to the, even what I think is the more amazing part. What is 
even more stunning (laughs) is that when a sound, a vibration, a frequency enters your ear, there is a design inside the hairs as well as little tiny bones in the ear which can amplify, meaning turn up that frequency up to 4,000 times. It turns up the volume up to 4,000 times. And why does it do that? Because the ear is filled with fluid, which for other reasons is needed for hearing. Have you ever ever tried to yell at someone who's inside of a pool? Hey, get out of there. Get out of here. You you have to go to your appointment. The person's looking up at you. (laughs) You know. Well, the same thing is happening. Actually, if you could yell a thousand times louder, they could hear you. And, and so this happens in the ear amazingly. When the frequency goes in, there's an amplification process up to 4,000 times so that you can understand the tones and the sounds that you're listening to. No one, by the way, has been able to establish how that amplification to that level even happens. There's some theories, but the, you know, nothing but, but talk and speculation. So with that, I'm going to quote my friend Isaac Newton, who discovered the law of gravities, gravity rather. Isaac Newton says, He who thinks half-heartedly will not believe in God. But he who really thinks has to believe in God. Oh, man, I love my old friend Isaac. Verse 20 could be that Isaac Newton was just referring. Uh, obviously, he, he knew science as well as anybody at the time, and we're still reading about his, his discoveries today. But verse 20 again says, since the creation of the world, his, meaning God's invisible attributes, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Meaning, you cannot look deeply and honestly into creation and deny the existence of God. You can look at it half-heartedly. You can suppress the truth. You can change it. You can ignore it. But you cannot deeply and honestly look into these things and deny the existence of God. The human body is a stunning display of design that could only have been put together by an all-powerful, all-knowing, indescribably intelligent and loving God. So David says in Psalm 139, he says this, Speaking to the Lord, he says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139, 13, 14. Verse 15, same psalm says, You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. So now, what about man and woman and God's design for man and woman? Genesis 1.27 says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And then in Genesis 2 Verse 24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Meaning, men, you were designed by God to be men. Women, You were designed by God to be women with the the same kind of stunning, beautiful, almost infinitely intricate detail that he used to create the human ear, only some would argue much, much more. He designed, ladies, you to be women. He designed you men to be men. 
Which leads to the question, speaking of another kind of amplification, arising voices that we're hearing so loud today. What if biologically I am a man, but I have the natural feelings of a woman and natural attraction to men? What if biologically I'm a woman, but I have the natural feelings of a man and I'm attracted to women? This is explained in the following verses. Let's read verse 21. Because they, meaning mankind, meaning you, meaning me, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile, meaning empty, in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. That's referring to little idols, little statues. Verse 24, therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Verse 25, very important verse. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. In other words, man, mankind, you, me, everyone who's ever come out of their mother's womb, they, they, they grow up knowing the truth about God. He is observable He is manifest. He's obvious to them just by their environment that they're in. But they suppress the truth, it says, and they exchange it for the lie. And particularly the lie is they start worshiping and serving what God created and not God himself. So, So they start worshiping money. They start worshiping sex, pleasure, entertainment, work, fame, power, computers, Worshipping their own family, worshipping their husband, worshipping their wife. They just chose something. Everyone's got to worship something. And, and, and so, verse 25 says, They exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Verse 26, and for that reason. Why? Because they started serving the creature. God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. The, living, the New Living Translation says this of verse 26. It says, that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And then verse 27 says, likewise also the men. Leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, meaning they let go of God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Now, the key to understanding those verses is the, the, the three or four words, God gave them over, or God gave them up. So verse 24 says, therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness. Why did he give them up to uncleanness? Because they abandoned the truth about God, and they just replaced it with their own kind of God. So it's that those, those three or four words. God, so God gave them up. Same thing in verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passion. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. And so that's the key to understanding these verses. Because, this is what these verses are saying, because we decide to suppress the truth, hide the truth, exchange the truth of God for a lie, 
And I say we because the Bible says this is a universal thing. It says that everybody in this room, in all the world, Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, meaning we've all done it. We decided to suppress the truth of God, hide it and exchange it. And therefore, those three verses say God gave us up over to the unavoidable and inescapable distorted consequences of passions and desires where God is not present. Let me repeat that. Because we knew the truth about God, decided to suppress it, hide it, exchange it, God gave us over or gave us up to the unavoidable and inescapable distorted consequences of our passions and desires where God is not at the center of them. So a a great illustration of this, I think, is the solar system. The solar system, the sun, and you have a whole bunch of planets revolving around the sun. The, the, The planets are rotating around it with seemingly perfect symmetry, rotating, spinning with a perfect kind of order. Imagine what would happen if you take away that sun. You would have planets going in unbelievably crazy direction. You would have disorder. You would have a design that's breaking down. Same thing with our passions and desires. Same thing. If you take God out of the center of our passions, our desires, what we'll get with our passions, is the unavoidable, inescapable consequences of those desires no longer with God at the center of them. Are you following me? So stay with me here. The first suppression, the first dark exchange of truth occurred in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve were created perfect They were perfect physically in their body. They were perfect relationally with God. So they're in this relationship with God who he's an all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing creator, and man was subject to him. So man was created. But, Genesis chapter 3, man, though he knew God, exchanged the truth of God for a lie. What was the lie? Genesis chapter 3, the temptation of the serpent of Eve. You can be like God. You can be like God. They embrace that, Adam and Eve. The consequence, the judgment, the curse, God gave them over to that lie. And and man's passions and desires became distorted, disordered. They were killing each other within one generation. And so that distortion and that disorder made its way into the human gene pool. Genes, that which makes you, you. And as a result, all of us come into this world with sin, with distortion, with disorder, with with a twisting, a disorder of God's perfect design. So from my gene pool, I may have inherited any number of things that are distortions or corruptions of God's perfect design. In other words, what I'm saying is that I am biologically wired to sin. And so are you, and so is every other human being who comes out of their mother's womb. That's what the Bible says. And so I am biologically wired to sin in certain ways. Now, when I combine that with how I am wired, with rather, when I combined how I am wired with certain environmental realities, for example, the absence of a father in a life, uh, a molestation when a person's younger, or emotional abuse by siblings, what you're left with is further, even deeper distortion and corruption of God's perfect design. Now, you may say, okay, Pastor Steve, I get what you're saying. I get it. You're thinking, I have same-sex attractions. 
which is a distortion of God's perfect, beautiful, glorious order for my life. Or I am married to someone of the opposite sex, but I continue to have strong physical attractions to others of the, uh, uh, of the opposite sex who I'm not married to. Or I get angry with people all day. Or I am so easily discouraged because of my emotional makeup. Or, or, or I have such a low view of myself, the only way I can cope day to day is to use drugs or alcohol. Or I am so compulsive, I can't help but work 70 hours every week. What do I do? Let me first tell you what you really, really, really don't want to do. You don't want to do what we're told over and over again in Romans chapter 1 not to do. You don't want to suppress the truth about God, hide the truth, change the truth, and exchange it for a lie. You don't want to do that. And now if you do want to do that, you have a lot of voices out there who will agree with you. Tens of thousands of voices will get around you and say, no, it's okay. It's okay to proceed the way you are with these natural desires. They're, they're natural. They're okay. Just go for it. 10,000 voices will support you doing that. But there's one voice telling you not to do that. And that's the word of God. It is the word of God. In the Bible, in the book of Judges, a time of incredible upheaval and disorder, sexually, religiously, physically, it was a time of, time of incredibly gruesome violence. There's an explanation of why it was all happening. Judges 21, verse 25. In those days, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Jeremiah, same thing. The time of Jeremiah, same thing. A mess sexually, religiously, physically, in every kind of way. And Jeremiah, it says this. Each one follows the dictates of his own evil heart so that no one listens to me. Listen, listen, Calvary Chapel in the city. Don't exchange the truth of God about your sexuality or anything else, even though 10,000 voices are telling you to do so. Don't do it. So what do you do? Well, first, go back to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. This is where you start. First and foremost, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God, meaning the righteousness of Christ, is revealed and offered to us from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So, listen, first things first. What do I do with all these desires that I have? What do I do? First thing first, you need to have faith in the word of God, which says the good news, the gospel, that Jesus Christ, the son of God on the cross was struck, battered, bruised by God the Father with everlasting wrath so that you would never have to know that wrath so that you need only ever know the everlasting joy and the everlasting love, the everlasting order of God. First things first, that's what you do first. Believe that word, trust in that word, and the Bible says you will be saved. Not only from the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. The jailer in Philippians, or rather Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer, it says he called for the lights. He, there had just been an earthquake. <laughs> and he rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. That is step one of what to do with these distortions, these, uh, these corrupted feelings within us. But then it's important to understand this. So important. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, by one offering, referring to the cross, he has perfected forever those being made holy. Meaning he's perfected you for heaven, but the process of being made holy will continue until you die or Jesus comes back. What does that mean? Some of these attractions, unnatural attractions that are contrary to the design of God, they will never leave you in some cases. They may never leave you. Again, by one offering, he has perfected forever those being made holy. And so uh, whatever it is, uh, the, the sexual attractions, the, 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 the the temptation to anger, the temptation to just be so discouraged you want to maybe even take your own life, uh, the, the, the temptation, the obsessive-compulsive temptation just to work 80 hours a week, you're going to be struggling with those to at least some degree, degree, more than likely, for the rest of your life because we are being made holy. The Bible says it is a process. It's a lifelong process by which you die to yourselves by the power of the Holy Spirit, who the Bible says that you receive when you believe. So Romans chapter 7 describes it like this. He says, uh, Paul says in verse 22, I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin. Meaning there's a war inside of us. And to some degree, that war is going to continue on for the rest of your life. for the rest of your life and my life. But meanwhile, day to day, this is what we are called to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter six says this. When one of these temptations, when one of these feelings, when one of these corruptions is, is tempting us or pushing us to behave in a way contrary to the perfect design of God, Romans six, verse 12 and 13 say this. You also Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. Meaning you don't obey the thing. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. The Bible says we stumble and fail many times, but you never submit to it. You never allow it to just stick around and be comfortable with that. Next verse, verse 15 in Romans 6 says this. It says, um, is this the next verse? Okay, yes. And Verse 14. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of unrighteousness to God. My life verse is 2 Corinthians 4.11, describing this struggle, which is a daily struggle, because, listen, I got, I got some serious disorder going on. <laughs> you can just ask my family. I got some serious disorder going on. But here's a, a wonderful verse, in, 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 which takes me day to day and takes me from glory to glory. We who are alive are always being delivered to death for Jesus' sakes, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. It's important to understand, folks, in this day-to-day struggle in which we say no to the flesh and yes to God, that our, our deepest problem or your deepest problem is not the sin itself. The, the, the deepest problem, if you uh, suffer from same-sex attractions, your deepest problem is not homosexuality. Uh, or, or if, if you are heterosexual, uh, your deepest problem is not the attraction for women who are not your wife. It's not your, uh, your anger. It's not your chronic depression. It's not obsessive compulsion. Your, your deepest problem, remember we talked about it at the outset, it's exchanging the truth of God. It's suppressing the truth of God. It's, it's hiding the truth of God. It's... it's it's, it, the problem is not supremely uh, 
that you need to put to death your distorted thought life. It's rather that you need to seek and hunger for and thirst for and seek after again the glory of God. The glory of God. I repair my distortions. You repair yours supremely, not by focusing on what is ugly or inglorious in me, but by focusing on what is the beautiful and glorious nature of God and focusing on that. And so 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says this, we all with unveiled face, meaning no longer blind, we contemplate the Lord's glory. We look at the Lord's glory. Glory. We worship the glory. We worship the Lord. We seek the Lord. We see, see the Lord. We experience the Lord. Are being transformed into His image with ever incre- increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, in closing, so important to understand. So important to step away from this and understand that we're all in this together. (laughs) We all came out of mama's womb with a, 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 a corrupted gene pool. We all have distortions in our life of God's perfect design. We, we're, we're all in this together. You, I ask you to stand by me in my disorder as long as it takes. I will stand by you in your disorder, your dysfunction, whatever it is, as long as it takes, if it takes 10 years, 20 years, however long. By the grace of God, I'm gonna stay with you in this battle. Until, and as a church, as the body of Christ changes into the likeness of Christ, a reflection of God. God so longs to be, see the reflection of his son. And we do that by putting the glory of God in the center of all our passions and all our desires that orbit around our lives. I want to call the worship team up, but I just have a few last words. If you've been asked to pray, please come up as well. All of this is just such a big issue in Boston. Suppressing the truth, not only in academia, the bigger, much bigger problem, far bigger problem is suppressing the truth in the church. I remember a few years ago, I was talking to a Boston pastor, and um, he was telling me a story about uh, him being interviewed by a, a journalist, someone who was taking a video uh, history of his church, and the person taking the video asked him, okay, so one of the many questions was, so what do you think, of pastor, about homosexuality? And the pastor said at that point, he said to me, he said, I just changed the subject because homosexuality has nothing to do with the gospel. There's nothing to do with it. You've got to be kidding me. Did you just say what I heard you say? You have got to be kidding me. Homosexuality is listed amongst the sins which we love, which we use as an excuse to suppress the truth. Remember, that's the reason why we hide the truth, why we conceal it. Because we love our sin. Don't tell me that the issue of homosexuality has nothing to do with the gospel. Don't tell me that. We have have people on the broad road that leads to hell. They need to be told, listen, something in your life is being used to, to, to where you're convincing yourself because you love that thing so much to hide the truth about God. You've got to understand that that is sin, but that Jesus Christ, he was bruised, he was battered, he was struck for that sin, for you. It has everything to do about the gospel. We don't want to suppress the truth. We want to bring the truth to light and we want to embrace it. Why don't we stand? Look, there's people up here praying. If there's anything at all that um, you have heard during this message that has just stirred your heart, 
and you'd like to pray about it, please come up. Obviously, we've talked about a lot of heavy things. The glorious thing is that we can exchange what is distorted, what is ugly, what is twisted, what is concealed for something that is just unimaginably beautiful for God himself, for the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ. I'm going to close in prayer and let's worship and if you'd like to, please come up to pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would uh, just speak to us, continue speaking to us about these things. We want to be a light. We want to be a light to the world. We don't want to put a bowl, a covering over our our issue, uh, rather our light, Lord. We want to shine brightly, Lord. Lord, as we just close in in worship, give us a view of your glory. Give us a view of your beauty. Give us a view, Lord, of the strength and power and mercy that we have in Christ. Give us a view, Lord, of the of the, the relationship that is completely free, without cost, can't be earned, can't be deserved. Give us a give us a view of that as we close in worship in Jesus' name.